Welcome to another episode of The Unapologist. Today, we have a very special man with us, a man who has been prophesied since antiquity that will bring a golden age to all of humanity and just the statue of a god right there. I'm talking about Christopher Polson, of course. Hey, he's here. He's he's here. He's here. And uh, all of those things are true. Every one of them. Every one of them. On this end, we have a person still working his way through grade three art and hoping to graduate one day, Vito McKenzie. Hey, and but he do... has great taste in architecture. That ceiling, mwah! Right here in my basement, it's it's wonderful. <laughs> and actually, we, we have a guest with us today, someone that Chris is going to introduce and share with us about. And we have Josh Whittle with us. Josh, thank you for joining us. No problem. Let me just introduce Josh to everybody. Josh's background is in spec ed. He has been a classroom teacher, a classroom support teacher. Uh, He has worked one-on-one with spec ed students. And his role right now is he is a a VP of the school that he's currently at. He's doing some really good work out there. And we thought that today uh, would be a great day to bring him on because we're doing something a little different. And we may be doing this different thing you know, every now and then. So I'm going to turn it over to Vito to talk about that. Well, normally you get to hear the beautiful and chirping voices of Christopher and I on our podcast as we talk through ideas. And then we also bring in guests as well, and we get to pick their brains on things that they're doing in the classroom and things we want to know about them. But on those weeks that it's just the two of us talking and we have something in mind, we thought we'd try something different going forward. And that's why we're going to introduce the unapologists on tap. So this, this is a chance for us to explore a topic in depth, but also bring someone on to get their perspective as well. So this will be former guests, guests we'd like to have back on again. And that way there could be three of us and it's not just Chris and I patting each other on the back all day long. Which we are quite good at. Vito is an excellent educator. In fact, in fact, the, the, the thread that's been going through this podcast, I think he's in the running for educator of the year. Oh, you know, that, I'm just trying to keep up because Chris, I've already sent your nomination for the World Teacher Award. I've sent it in. Let's let, let's jump in. Let's, let's jump, in. jump today, into it. Today's today's topic, we're going to talk about being the real deal, and this is a topic that deals with authenticity, not only for yourself but in the classroom. And really what we're getting at to is building rapport with students, which is kind of the key to everything in education. Students need to be on board with you and they need to know what they're getting from you before they'll buy into what you're doing and saying and what you're trying to sell, really. So let's just get these let's get this ball rolling, shall we? I, I was thinking about this uh I was thinking about this all week, actually, and I wanted to get one thing out of the way. I kind of wanted to, like, smash through one wall first, uh, the, the, the the obvious cliche wall, I think. Um, teaching is a vocation, and I, that's, I know, I know both of you are looking at me like I can't believe he said it, but I think one of the first barriers to being a real deal is understanding that. I actually do. Like, I know it's so cliche and it's like, hey, teaching is a calling. But the fact of the matter is, if you are going in just because it's a job, you get summers off and you get a paycheck. I don't think you can be the real deal. I don't I don't think you can be the real deal unless you think of it as a vocation. 
I could I mean, be honestly further than that. If you don't treat it that way, you don't make it through or make it past your first five years. Well, <laughs> but and if you do, I would argue that then you're just a grinder. You're just like I'm clocking in, clocking out. Don't care. I don't need to invest anything. Working for the weekend. Working for the weekend. And you, you really are just that teacher there for the paycheck. And students know this. Yeah, oh, you but that's student... it. But I think that's it. I, th- I think right from the get-go, when you're thinking of applying to that B.Ed., if your mindset isn't that it's a vocation, I think it's I think it's harder. I don't think it's impossible. I think it's harder to become the real deal. I, th- I think right from the get-go, that seed of, of, of a mindset has to be there. Because I think you can have all the skills. I think you can have all the skills that make great teachers, but without that vocational mindset where this is just something you do that pays you money, I, I just don't think you can fully be there, the real deal, be authentic. There's no soul to it. Well, there it is. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. Uh, Josh, what does this idea of authenticity look like for you? Because you have a background in spec ed and working with spec ed students i mean this this is kind of very important so how did that look for you well i mean first off when i look at the role that i have is not just administration you know um i'm doing a dual role i'm half-time special education and half-time admin so let's face it in any given day you're not going to be able to tease the two apart because they go together so much i mean both of them are huge on social emotional learning i mean you you have to take the the whole kid and their whole background into account to do anything with the position and you know when a kid walks into my office whether it's for you know a behavioral challenge or something related to their education if i if i don't put that foot forward with them first and have a have a good talk with them, figure out where they're coming from, what their perspective is, share mine, nothing will get done. Um, so how does that look? I come into your office and, and I sit down and I'm, I'm frazzled. What, what's going on? Like, wh- how, how does that even look? We have a chat. When we talk about real talk, that's that's how you connect. <laughs> I mean, I have to read the kid first. If I see a kid coming in that's extremely upset, you know, I'll look at, for example, the zones of regulation programming that's on my wall and I'll bring, you know, them to have a look at those posters. For example, there's one kid that's, you know, one of my daily visitors. And we look at that and we say, okay, well, what kind of strategies can I use today to kind of get me down a little bit? And for that kid, it's usually a coloring page. He'll sit down for that first five minutes he's in with me, and he'll color it through. He'll take his time. He goes from being way up here to down low pretty quick because that's his that's his zen zone for him, right? And after I that, like, I like that. Find the zen zone. Right. And after he's after he's done with that little preliminary activity, we can talk about, okay, what happened in the classroom? What's going on at home today that, you know, kind of led you to this place? Um, Do you need a little bit of extra help later from the guidance cancer? Maybe not. Uh, In some cases, you know, those kids come in, they tell me about what's been happening home, you know mom yelled at him dad yelled at him um you know the kid's sister was up at three o'clock in the morning and they operating now on two hours of sleep i feel bad for those kids i feel bad for those kids who have a newborn in the house (laughs) (laughs) i felt bad for me when i had a newborn in the house i'm feeling bad for me right now but i like i like what you're saying um josh and it seems as though you're making what we'd call an authentic connection um 
so what's I guess to me, um, like obviously before a student even comes to you, you kind of already have an action plan in place. If you know Vito is coming to your office today, like which Vito, he does all he does. the time, he'll do it all, all the time. Vito's teacher calls down and says, "Hey, uh, Josh, Vito's being Vito." Um, what you obviously already have an action plan and that comes from having a rapport with the student, um, which to me is, is going back to that authenticity is being able to build that rapport. How do you, how do you build that rapport with students, especially students who are kind of, uh, you know, high needs for, it depends on what the nature of their need is. If I have a kid, for example, you know, coming from special ed background, if I have a kid come to my office, who's, you know, operating, you know, pretty low on the autism spectrum and really, really struggling when it comes to those, you know, meeting me halfway in those joint attention pieces, what's going to work for them is going to work. It's going to be completely different than, you know, the kid I just mentioned for mm -hmm. him. We had his set plan for, say, that kid with autism. The first need I might need to meet is a sensory piece. If I don't meet that, then I can't get anywhere. Because obviously, when they come to me, they are completely and utterly overwhelmed. Can so I, for them, that might be, I was going to say, <laughs> for them, that might be shutting out the lights and putting on a bit of calm music. So it seems to me, too, is, is a lot of what you're, what you're saying in a more detailed way is, is you got to know your stuff. You do. And, and there's like, no so way around that. If if you know if stop one on the on the train station is 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 thinking of teaching as a as a vocation, you know stop two has to be you got to know what you're doing. You got to know your content, yeah. And I mean, there's that pedagogical aspect of it. But I have argued for many years now. There's just also a psychology element to teaching as well. And that's what I want to drive at too. You actually care about the person as a person and yeah. have done your background and saying, okay, hold on. What's really going on here? And what, what really needs to be done? Like this is more than just plug in these set criteria. This is, I got to read the room. I got to have some emotional intelligence with me. Well, I mean, if you talk to him, um, many administrators, I, I would argue, especially primary elementary administrators, because we start the day off generally outside on the front parking lot unloading buses. And for me, that's one of the most important parts of my day because I get to greet every single student coming off those buses and coming into my building. And that reading of the room for me starts at 7.50 a.m. every single morning. It doesn't end off until 2.30 when I load them on the buses in the evening. I, I'll agree with that. I, you, I, Josh, you know, for years, I used to be the welcome wagon at the front of the school. Um, yep. And that was some crucial time because you, without talking to anyone, you knew how everyone was doing. That's right. And, you know, you see the kid that comes off the bus with a smile and to put it in the perfect Newfoundland way possible. You see the kid that comes off the bus with a face like a boiled boot. Face like a boiled boot on him. <laughs> That's right. it. Get that thing all over Canada. Face like a boiled boot. Face like a boiled <laughs> boot. That's <laughs> our new. That's our um, new. Uh, but you know what? This this is also advice that you you give to new teachers. You sit stand outside your classroom and welcome every student as they come in. I, I always love being in the hallways beforehand and yelling at students in a very excited voice, "Good morning!" Because you know. They don't get that, and they're usually just dragging, they're, they're dragging, no, they're dragging themselves. They're like, I guess, in the middle school, high school range. They've gotten out of bed 10 minutes ago, 
and, and it's still waking up. So you got someone there to just cheer them up and, and say good morning. It might be the only point in their day where someone greeted them with a smile. I don't know. And, uh, and you know I'll say funnily, funnily enough, in, in my position as well, I get to see all the teachers that are coming in in the morning. And, you know, <laughs> there's a couple in particular, you know, they're getting out of the car and they're bleary-eyed and bushy-tongued. And like while I'm there... Face like a bald boot, and I'm yelling out, "Good morning, Miss!" As loud as I can at every kid around here, so, and they're loving it. Oh, well, there it is. Have fun. I was going to say, you tend to see that more after a parent-teacher interview night. Just a lot of that very, very eyed. It was a rough one. Yeah. Whittle had 40 parents show up. I'm surprised he made it in today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, but, it's important for kids to see both of this, both sides of that relationship too, you know, that they see the relationship that we have with them as students and also the relationship that we as educators have with our peers. Yeah. To, wow. There it is. Right. Because. Okay. Uh, that's that's a heavy point, Josh, because that's tough. That's a, that's a tough one, I think. Now, yeah. I think the luckiest of us can say, you know, we go to school and teach with our friends. I think the lucky of us uh, of us get to say that. But like in schools, especially larger buildings, like that's not always the case, right? It's, it's kind of a case where, you know, what we talk about across Canada now with the COVID-19 thing happening and how many schools are dividing into cohorts. In larger schools, those cohorts were kind of already there. Those were the bubbles of those bubble of student population, <coughs> teacher populations that were spread out into the entire building and kind of segregated on their own. But at least, you know, when you do build those relationships with your students and you build relationship with the other staff members that are working with you on your floor, you, you're kind of you kind of get that real talk in every single day all day and that you build your friendships with them and not only that you're also serving as a model for your students well it's that's just a kinda, huge point huge that's, point that's the huge point, point right? too right yeah right. The, the, like there's there's a how you act in the classroom and how you act outside the classroom and students look at you in both respects and, and if there's some inconsistency even if they see you outside of school and if there's inconsistency among any of that they know right away, boom, this person, you know, They're Mr. McKenzie, no, he's, he's, he's not it. He's not it. Uh, and they, I'll tell they you know. one, way, one way that I know that, you know, even though, you know, sometimes I do get that, you know, stereotypical, like, I'm not sure if it's, you know, my my self-critique of myself that I constantly do. But you get that feeling, you know, am I am I like the imposter? Am I really that real? But what gets me is when I'm, you know, say on summer break, like, you know, we are right now, and I see, you know, my students going down the road. And they are my behavior challenge students. You know, these are the kids that, you know, would look at somebody else and tell them where to go to in about five seconds flat. But they look at me and they say, Mr. Whittle, how's it going? How's your summer going? What games are you playing now? They know I'm a big geek, right? They're sharing. I like that, too, because you're willing to like, you know, there are people who say like, you know, after three o'clock, you don't exist. And, and that's point one. Point two, they know that you're a big gamer, big geek, sharing who you are with them. I mean, point number three, not about any of this stuff, but just I've been back at it's work for three days now, but don't be talking about summer vacation. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I make the joke, but I digress. I think you hit on some pretty heavy things there. 
that you're like, you know, you're willing to say hi, even though you're not in the building. Like, that's huge. I think I, I just, I have to say that one of the things to me um, in terms of authenticity and being the real deal is some of the stuff that I'm pulling out of what you're saying is um, they're not students first, the people first. And That's people right. exist both in the school and outside of the school. And does the way you treat them in the school, is does it mirror to the way you treat them outside of the school? Because you can you're be right. like, oh, hey, Vito, it's so good to that you're in class today. And then, you know, you see Vito on the street or at the movie theater and you're like, you know, yeah, you're, you're, you're turning your head. And um, there are people that that go into this line of work and go into this vocation, as you said, and do that. But to me, but that's how, how can there because like that when you look at the student as a you know as a person, and let's face it, they're only with us for a few years before they're grown up and in society themselves. Yeah, I mean, they're in in the run of a day. They're you know they're only with us for say six hours six hours you know each day during the weekday. But you know if you don't if you don't, you know, play that part as, as an educator and as a, as a real person outside of school as well, you're missing out on an opportunity to show them, okay, when, when I'm outside, when I'm going around this community, I'm a part of it, just like you. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and two, two really good points that were just hit upon right there. One is that they are, they're not students first, they're humans first. And do we try to get to know them as students or as humans? The one thing that, you know, the common icebreaker thing teachers fill out the survey about who you are and what you like, and then it just goes in a drawer and you ignore it. And, and, and do you actually get to know your students as humans and, and really, really get to know them as that? So for instance, one of the things I like to do in my classroom is I try to talk to my students at least once a week. Hi, how's it going? What are you up to this weekend? And if they say something to me like, Oh, I got a hockey tournament. I'll try to, I will do my best and I'll write that down. Or I'll do something. Remember that and ask them after the weekend, how'd your tournament go? Did you guys win? Did you lose? was the deal get to know them as humans first and they can respect that and two josh you just brought that point about they're only with us for a few short years like, you got to keep in mind that when the students leave the school they don't just go away they grow That's older right. become adults and they become yeah. part of the community <laughs> they graduate well, and then they're going to the Right, and then of course you can get into that philosophical discussion on you know what exactly is education and what is the purpose of it. I mean that that can be a, a podcast series on its own, but you know, like, well, of course, we're looking at a a priori or a posteriori knowledge content. Blah, blah, blah. Can, you, can you spell that for me? <laughs> I actually could, but I'm not gonna. But no, what what you like? One thing that made me feel. I don't want to say feel old. I don't know. But I don't know how else to articulate it. Was I was eating my lunch in the staff room. And I don't do that a lot. I don't eat my lunch in the staff room. I, I usually either eat my lunch in my office or I eat it down in the uh, like the administrative conference room where a lot of the people in the offices eat their lunch. But I was up in the staff room. And there was a there was a, a young lady who was there, and I looked over and I, I was kind of eating my lunch. So I wasn't looking at her, and I said, "Oh, who are you in for today?" And she said, "I'm in for so and so, Mr. Polson." And I looked over, 
and it was one of my former students <laughs> and oh, wow. i was and and i was like like double take um but then we sat and i was like oh my goodness like you're, you're sobbing now like you know you do the oh, i'm excited i'm happy oh yeah but then we had like an adult conversation like about like the things you would have conversations with other teachers about and i thought like i i, I kind of I, I i was happy that that happened because like the 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 the, the, the like the kind of like the wall that goes up so often between the, the difference between being authentic and not being it was in in this moment of of two professionals having lunch and having this thing it was like wow this is a person who is comfortable and confident enough to have this conversation with someone who used to grade them and yep. and then even mm -hmm. for myself the other way around she was no longer my former student she was a colleague and and there was the, there was this there was this thought to, in my head when when it was over of the authentic relationship that had been cultivated from when she was a student to when she needed things like uh, letters of reference and stuff like that and how there was this growth that never would have been there if the authenticity wasn't there from the beginning. I mean, it comes you know what I mean? the idea of that continuity of learning and being mm -hmm. and growing as a person and how important this, this snippet of time that we have these kids is. <coughs> right? So little. So I mean, little. So let's, let's get into um, the nitty gritty, though. Like, let, let's jump in the nitty gritty because we've been waxing philosophy for a, uh, for a little while and yeah. we kind of get to a few practical points. But how, how do we do this in the classroom? How does this look? What are All your right. actual practices? to show that you're the real deal and that you actually I mean, want to build this authentic relationship. And if I had to, you know, make a list, I, my God, if I had to look at the past like four years or, you know, the last 14 years I've been a teacher, I mean, I'm not sure if I could make the full list, but let, let me give you a, let me give you a little narrative example. I'm all about the, I'm all about story time. We're going to have Vito, a Vito and I are adamantly against narrative, as you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to start with this. Um, just a little while before I took up the administrative role, um, I took a replacement position as a as a special education teacher, and one of the one of the students I worked with had just had the mother of all behavioral emotional outbursts, and I'm talking like the colorful language that you couldn't imagine a sailor saying. <laughs> all right, and there was a bunch of pieces tied into this some of them legal mind anyway the kid ended up being pulled from regular school for a little while and eventually he found his way to me unfortunately that was a year that i was going off on educational leave so i only had him for part of that year but i managed to get the kid back and uh, get him basically attending school again for six months up until the point that i left now that's a little precursor so that in particular was done through, like we had talked about before, that real talk. It was finding his interests. It was trying to figure out who this kid was. Um, and it took me three or four days for him to get that hook that, you know, this kid was into uh, into gaming like I was. Surprise, surprise. I think I was born a little bit too early when it comes to being a gaming nerd. I think the acceptance came along later. So, anyway, oh, you, paved I, I, the way. you paved the way. Pioneer. 
you know, it's it's like uh, it's like my poor old father used to say. He said, "There's a lot of Joshies going around nowadays." So <laughs> anyway, I worked with this kid for six months, and I put in a ton of work with him. We did talking. I would bet I would say about eighty percent of the time that I had him. We did a little tiny little trickle of academics, but like I said, I had an educational leave that year, and I, I had to go. I told him that, you know, I, I hope you do well, but if you need me, just let me know. Fast forward two years, I ended up taking an administrative role at the same school. And this kid, um, you know, he, he didn't he didn't do so hot from there. Um, when I had finally gotten back to working with him, and I've requested to work with him, by the way, is one of the most challenging cases that we, we had to work with at the school. But I, I had that connection with him, and I knew if anyone could get to him, I could. So I took the took the kid under my wing, and we did we did work for about, I must say about four months up until then December. And I mean, like I knew he was a smart kid. There was no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Other kids were, you know, talking about what show they had seen on TV. This kid was talking about GDPs of various different countries. He was talking about geography. This was a kid who for his free time in gaming, he was now into war games. Like, you know, like risky, risk that kind of stuff, right? Like that's the kind of stuff this kid was in compared to the rest of his peers. And he was two years away from that peer group. This was a kid who cursed nonstop, but he didn't curse because it was any kind of meaning behind it. He cursed because that was his regular everyday language and he didn't have any other way that he knew of at that point in time to express himself other than saying the F-bomb every two or three minutes. And that was something that other people, other professionals could not get over. But for me, okay, that's just part of who he is and we're going to work around that and work through it because that's not the important thing right now. What's really important is the fact that this kid has not had any social engagement with kids his own age for two years and that he was struggling due to situations that he was, you know, being put through outside of school. And the only person that in the entire world for him, his own personal world was his grandmother. And that was the only person that gave two craps about him. So I started out the year with them. You know, we were we were making headway in short bursts. But I remember in December that year, um, and this was just after just after my own father had passed away. So I will be honest with you, that first four months of the school year was a complete blur to me. I did the best I could with this kid, but mentally I wasn't there. So one day, um, like I said, just be, just the beginning of December, a little bit before Christmas. Um, he was having a rough day. I was having a rough day. It ended up, you know, just blowing up. And that kid cursed and swore a slew at me. Like I said, better than any sailor I've ever seen. So he, and you're on, you're in Newfoundland, so that's saying oh, something. Oh yeah, that's saying something. So he um, he left with his grandmother that day, and just before he left, I made sure I came together, looked at him square in the eyes. I said, I don't blame you for anything that happened today. I said, you know, this was a blip on the radar, and whenever you're ready to come back in, don't sweat it. You're always welcome. So he took a couple of days, and he came back. The day he came back was one of those wonderful days when the principal, uh, you know, my uh, administrative partner was uh, called away for leadership meetings. Now, a school of over 400, when, you're, uh, when your administrative partner is called away for meetings, your day becomes hell in a freaking handbasket. 
<laughs> all right because suddenly you don't have that buffer zone and for me working half time as a special education teacher you know i'm in class but also trying to man the office at the same time Ooh. okay so this is this is the kind of day that i had so i get into class with him that morning he came back you know everything was going pretty good and about 20 minutes in i get a call up through the pa into my room from the secretary you know confirming the worst fears of the day you know the you know what hit the fan <laughs> so i i didn't have anyone else that i could you know ask the kid to hang out with because you know i needed someone you know he was capable of working with them and you know knew to look for the signs of a blow up and were able to you know were able to bring him down when he needed it so i took him along with me i brought him down to the office we had a nice plushy spinny chair and he sat down there and that kid had his had his um you know i think one of his best mornings ever because he got to watch the makings of the office drama from his own personal front row seat so he watched me deal with seven i think seven or eight different behavior pieces that came into the office all at once so Very he didn't he never had he said. To, right he did not have this perspective before this was all brand new to this kid Afterwards, after I had everything sorted out, he looks at myself and he looks at the secretary who he also made a connection with. And he says, you know, do you do this every explicatively deleted day? And both of us couldn't really say anything. We looked at him and just said, yeah, we do. This is this is our life. I swear to God. <laughs> this is my next, life. This is my life. The next day, the kid comes in, a completely different kid. We had, well, we were having a good year up until that point. But for the rest of the year, I have never seen a kid do such a 180. He was listening better. He was talking to me more openly. Like, I remember at one point, this kid's father passed away, a strange father. This was sometime around Easter time and whatnot. And, you know, I called his grandmother and I said, you know, I know he's, you know, he's, he's upset underneath. I said, can I have, do I have permission to talk to him myself about it? Because I said, I just went through the same thing myself. And she said, yeah, that's perfect. Next day we sat down and we had that talk. And, you know, I told him, you know, this went, uh, this is what I went through when my father passed away. This is how you might be feeling now. I said, you know, I ended up, of course, I, I I had a really rough time with it. I told him I ended up on antidepressants for a while because I needed something to help me cope with it. And sure enough, he started opening up about his own experience and what he was feeling because he hadn't seen his dad in so long. The wow. end of the year, this kid, like I told you guys before, he wasn't in class for two years. By the end of the year, I had he was there requesting to go into the regular classroom. Wow. And like I said, now he was he was still cursing up a storm every now and then, but that wasn't that wasn't the main thing we were dealing with. Like this kid had nobody to connect to, so that's what my main purpose was. It was to connect with him. We did learning on the side. We read the three Hunger Games books that year. He loved every minute of it. But by the end, I remember at one point at the end of the year, um, there was a social studies teacher who we started making a connection with, and he really liked going to his particular class. So. You know, that day in June, I said, you know, you can go on up. And, uh, you know, I was reasonably fine. He went on up and joined that into the class. I didn't find out until afterwards that a substitute teacher was in. Oh, oh no. Which was my oh crap moment, right? Like that. What have, have I been, done? 
mm. right? So the substitute that was there happened to be a, a teacher that was, you know, around when the original stuff happened to him a couple years earlier. And I expected the mother of all blowups when I realized. However, this is what happened that day. He gets in the class. She's up there trying to lead the social studies lesson. And a bunch of other kids were in the bag and they were making a, you know, again, Newfoundlander speech. They were making a god awful racket. They wouldn't just make a god awful racket. <laughs> and he turned around to them and said, in the middle of class now, can you shut the F up to teachers trying to teach? <laughs> that teacher comes to me afterwards and she's like, so this is what happened in class today. What happened to this kid? Because, of course, she figured he was going to eat the head off of her. And I said, the last thing I said to the kid, I said, hey, you know, he said, thanks so much, you know, for helping me throughout the year and everything. I said, don't worry about it. I said, just make sure you get me a ticket to your graduation. There you go. And I see his grandmother around every now and then. And he's still going to school. I love it. Right? A couple of things. I, I, I think that's wonderful. I think that's such a uh, such a real narrative of of being an authentic educator being someone who genuinely cares but what i really got from it was i guess i guess two things um number one like you got like if you want to be real you got to stick to it you know it's because it's not it's you don't rome was not built in a day as it were and these relationships and these levels of respect and these success stories these triumph stories they're not they're not uh they're not kids books they're they're big novels they're series um and, and number two josh and you can correct me if i'm wrong but like it seems to me one of your thought processes on on being the real deal and being authentic is, is you gotta let people in yeah um yeah. i i you like how brave was that where you you know you say like hey like my dad passed too this is how i dealt with it you know that's huge you know you showed your vulnerability there like you yeah. really did I yeah. think that's, I think, I think you gave us a lot to think about with that. Um, Cause that, that's a huge risk. Cause when you show your vulnerability to a student, there's two ways that can go. They either look at you be like, Oh wow. Pathetic. And then they clobber you or eat you alive or two. They're like, Oh, Oh wow. Okay. I never thought of it that way. And I think and that, that really depends on the, the work Josh did before too. And the work, you know, people who are really trying to be authentic did before leading up to that. Yeah, I mean, like the important said, part with this kid was that, you know, this wasn't, this wasn't a kid that, you know, I built a relationship over the course of a few months with. I mean, I knew this kid over really three years mm -hmm. in total. Right. And that was a, a long time of relationship building and working with him and getting to know him and knowing what he needs. So then what if you don't have a long time? What if, you know, what if, what if, what if, Hey, you're teaching a, your first grade 12 class and it's second semester. You got to start with what you have. Yeah. I mean, you might take a little while, of course, to bring out, to be comfortable in yourself, to bring out that vulnerability we talked about, or you might never need to do that. I mean, you, you got to find, you know, your common ground with kids as you go. And I mean, you, like we said before, you look at them as people and realize like in grade 12 for example these are kids that won't need to ask to use the washroom in four months <laughs> i mean but they'll ask four thousand times a day. <laughs> oh yeah 
Sure. But I mean, like I said, you you gotta you gotta start with them. And even in grade twelve, like you know, I've taught in K to twelve schools before, where you know, I I work with kids. I say kids in quotes, young adults that were just about to graduate, and the same kind of rules apply. Like you still put up your you know your boundaries of a you know a teacher student relationship. But I mean, you you talk to them as people. You say, you know, what are you getting up to the weekend? Um you know how are you how are you doing like what what are your friends what are your what are you doing with your friends later on um i mean it's it's something that needs to be fluid it can't be mechanical i i like that um i like that i i was thinking too when you were telling your story and when we were kind of talking here about bathroom breaks um i think i think one of the things uh that you need to do is uh is is take the time in the short periods amount of time to Get to know them as a person. Yeah. Like, you know, what are you doing on the weekend too? But also I think it's really important in our authenticity to actually know them as students too. And what yeah. I mean by that is like Vito asks me to go to the washroom and I know Vito well enough to say, Vito, can you please just say I need to go for a walk? Cause that way I'm going to let you go for the walk. But that way I know where you are. And that way, if someone comes to me and says, Hey, Vito was out for a walk, I can say, Yeah, I knew that. You know, be a champion for them. Um, if you can be. Um, and I and I think that goes to like, you know, getting to know them. And I think when you do that, you do another thing that Josh said, and we talked about, you know, you let them in a bit. When you when you let young people know that you're like, you're not just this guy or this or this or this woman who's at the front of a classroom to bestow rules and throw knowledge in you because you're a robot who's going to go out to the, the machine factory. And, and you know what I mean? I, I think that's huge in terms of being the real deal is saying like, I know what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's, and let's... I'm okay with it. Yeah. Or, or I know what you're doing and we need to be honest with each other. Cause that's not okay. And even though we have a great rapport, I'm willing to tell you it's not okay because I'm the real deal because I care more about my, my, my positive, you know, relationship with you. I care more about you being a success story than us being able to make sure you're not as disruptive in other classes as you are in mine. I think, I think that's a huge component. And the other part of that too, is to really know the ages of the students you're working with because the approach you take will depend on, what age group you're dealing with. So back to that grade 12 class, you can have that open, honest, direct, this is the real deal kind of thing. And they will appreciate that. And you treat them as adults because they are entering into that adult world. And so they don't want to be treated like kids. So when Mr. Polson says, Hey, I know you're going for a walk. Just let me know. So I can let people know that it's okay. You're walking. They're going to all of a sudden be like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Right. Yeah. Uh, Whereas if you're in a, a younger grade, you got to do it a bit differently. You got to go. You have to have a bit of a different approach. It makes. Well, I mean, like sense. you guys had said before about the, um, you know, that content knowledge that you need to have as a as an educator and to function well at this vocation. I mean, if you look at working with a kid in grade two or grade three, their ability to conceptualize the world around them is completely different from you know a grade twelve student. Absolutely. A grade twelve student can work with that level of agency for themselves. Mm-hmm. that a younger kid might not be able to. And of course there's individual differences there, but you don't get those individual differences until you make that 
you know, that legwork and that groundwork to get to know the kids that you're working with. And, and on any level too, I think, you know, whether K, K to 12 or university, whatever. Um, yeah. No, you, like we talk about how like you don't need to have all the answers all the time. Yeah, I get that. But that doesn't mean you can't have any of the answers all the time too. Um, when you know what you're talking about, have the confidence to talk about it in a, in a human engaging way, not like teach bot 2000. Um, there's credibility that comes with that. And credibility yeah. is authenticity. Um, when they come and they say, Hey, uh, we got this question. We got to go talk to Mr. McKenzie about it because he's going to know the answer right then and there you have credibility and you are yeah. automatically an authentic yeah. authentic in that in that respect i, I think yeah. no you're 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 spot on right there they know like i'm teaching this and we have this relationship but i really do know what i'm talking about because i actually know my content so well and you can the students can appreciate that they weren't just like oh this you know mr poster was just thrown this class yeah. He doesn't know what he's doing, and now when you just throw in a class, like um, we have an administrator, I have an administrator friend of mine. I won't mention her name. I'd love to have her on the show sometime. But she has said since day one of me knowing her, like the 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 most important thing you can do as a teacher is be properly planned. Yeah. Mm. And I think that yes. lends. To, I think that lends to the credibility. That lends to knowing your content. That lends to, hey, I, you know what? Well, like we talked about in episode one with like, oh my goodness, uh, I have a religion class now. Well, the, like, okay, so plan it. You know what I mean? Um, and whether that's math, science, whatever, I think that really lends to the authenticity. If you are planned for courses that aren't necessarily even your like wheelhouse, there's some serious authentic teacher going on there. And young people pick up on that. But, you know, and, and Josh, you can correct me on this one if I'm wrong. But I think, like, in your from put on your admin hat, when you see people who are maybe out of their comfort zone, but they're planning as hard as they do for the stuff they love, like, admin has to see that. Like, that has to give oh, some yeah. credibility both directions. Yeah. And, we, ha and we I mean, haven't talked we take about that note. yet. I mean, we take note when we, when we see a, a teacher that, we know isn't comfortable in that one subject area or isn't comfortable dealing with this one student and working with this one student, but by God, they try everything they can over the course of that year to make it work and to make a difference. I, I want to know too, like, just because I think you're, you know, a candidate for teacher of the year veto. Like, I want to know, like, what are some of the things you do? Because you have such a, you have such a wide and eclectic, group of interests that you that you can no seriously that's a compliment that's, that's code for like mr vito has an inability to focus on anything in life. <laughs> but, but but like how do you bring them into thinking okay this veto guy's the real deal he's not just some clown at the front you know because because you have some stuff that's pretty out there I agreed. Agreed. So I guess one of the things you should mention is that I was a professional magician for 10 years. <laughs> I, I did shows. I paid my bills. I put food on the table. I traveled. It was, it was fantastic. So literally, yeah, I could just be a clown in front of the room. But the one thing I learned, like uh, all these pieces from different parts of my life come together. 
right? They, they all kind of blend together at some point, and I pull from the best of them. One of the first things I learned as a magician when you're doing a show is one is management. You have to know how to manage your audience and to read your audience right away because that's going to be a successful show. If your audience doesn't have a good your time, you could be the best magician in the world, have the most amazing magic tricks, but they're not feeling it. They're not going to hire you, and the person who booked you is not going to book you again. And number one rule, and this is something that just came to me one time at a show, the audience doesn't care. They don't care about you. And what I mean by that is they don't care how long you've been doing magic, if you're on TV, if you were a celebrity, if you met a celebrity, or uh, as a teacher, like they, they don't care what your background is, how much education you have, even if you're uh, famous in some circles or if you run a podcast. Like they, they don't care, right? What they want to know <laughs> is what's this experience going to be for me? That's what they want to know. And so as a magician, you have to say, okay, I have to not only get them on my side very quickly, but I also have to show them some really good magic. So as a teacher, you, like I have to do both. I have to say, okay, I got to get students on my side, but I got to show them this class is going to be for them, mm -hmm. that I'm thinking about them. This class wasn't like me getting up here, oh, look how great I am, and I did this, and let me tell you about these stories. It's good to tell a story, but if all you're doing is telling stories about your life, students would be like, let's just keep. Mr. McKenzie off topic all class so we can just, you know, not learn anything, right? They, 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 Vito just yeah. described my entire teaching practice. <laughs> <laughs> but you get them to care. that The difference is your narrative plays into the lessons that you're yep. doing. It's part of that planning. There it is. It's, it's so part of that planning. Like you, you plan it out and you put the narrative part of that plan. And so that's, that's what really I, I try to do. When I go home at night or I'm out everywhere i'm watching a movie i'm seeing a show i'm reading something i'm connecting it to my teaching practice everything and anything and sometimes i'm thinking about a particular student i'm like okay uh, james you know he really really doesn't like reading at all like at all i can't get him to read anything like even hockey stats and he's a big hockey fan so how the hell am i going to get him to read any book and you know ideas come to you over time be like oh wait a minute I know that he might look at this and then this. And that's then... vocation coming back too. If if you if it's happening in that type of, I think that's vocation coming back. Yep. Well, just twenty four seven, right? My my head head spinning in so many different directions. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the other thing about you know that that planning. It isn't just you know a, a planning a planning lessons or planning for a course. I mean, that's nonstop every day. Like we talked about, you know, getting kids off the buses in the morning. It's organic. That's part of your planning. It's it's constant and it's flowing. I think that's one of one of my my like pulsinisms that I say almost every episode that it just needs to be organic. Um, looking back, doing the editing on these, I say like it, it comes up a lot, and I, and I think Vito, you just described something that's really organic, really like. Um, you know, at its when, when something's working at its absolute best, it doesn't mean you don't have to try hard to, to, to push it to the edge. But like when it when it's when it's always operating in the background like that, I think that's a really, really, really positive way to allow your authenticity, authenticity to feed your practice. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it takes work. It takes work and it takes a lot of failure, too. There's a lot of things oh, you're yeah. going to do and try that are not going to work. 
And what works, <laughs> what works for me is not going to work for you. Like going back to the magic, there are certain personalities in magic that works really well for that person. And they can pull out that kind of show. But the second another magician tries to imitate that, the audience knows. They're like, this doesn't feel right. doesn't seem right. There's a disconnect. Because uh, they know it's it's not really their routine that they're running. They're running someone else's routine. And so you gotta you got to feel it out. You obviously imitate people that you know and you love. Uh, but you got to feel out your own personality for yourself. And then really tread that water as, as you go into it. I got a story for you. Because uh, I'm sorry. I, I apologize. You never forget the first lesson you ever had to teach you ne- on your own. You know, you never forget it. And I remember being a B-Ed student and I was, I had just done my observation week. I'd come back and I was doing my first lesson. It was a science lesson for grade six on the Bernoulli effect. And I wanted it to be the best lesson ever. So <laughs> I, th- I went I thought about my science lessons when I was a kid uh, that I got. I thought I went on YouTube. I did all of the things except like ask myself, like, how would Chris teach this? I asked, how would so-and-so teach this? How would this person teach this? How do they teach this online? <coughs> and I came in and I I was like so incredibly ready for this lesson my first lesson ever and and i hate to say this and maybe this is an episode but it's recorded uh okay we're busting that out and and um and without getting into too much detail by the end of the lesson three students were crying The teacher of the classroom had taken back over the lesson. <laughs> and I had to come to parent teacher night. Oh. Because, because, and I, and I literally was like, maybe I'm not supposed to be a teacher. Like I was deer in the headlights. And like, when I look back on it now being all, I have been, this is my, as a full-time teacher, this is my 10th year. I look back on that guy and his hundred percent, his problem was he wasn't teaching the lesson. He, you know, he was trying to get someone else to teach the lesson through him. And to me, that's huge because I am a humanities teacher, you know, theology, religion, that is where I shine. And I know I don't shine in other places, but I can still do an awesome job doing other subjects because I let me do them. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they're going to look weird and awful on paper, but we're going to get through them because I let me do them. And I think that's a huge, huge, huge thing when we come to authenticity in, in, in the realm of education is like, you know, in Josh's story, um, that was not a story about Josh trying to figure out what to do. That was a story of Josh figuring out what to do. When you're talking Vito about what you bring to your classroom, you didn't at, at all say, well, when I was a magician, I really looked up to this magician. And so I thought some, you, you said, this is what I did. And that's what I bring in. And I think that's so huge to like, and you know what? I actually think it comes down to a, it's, it's a pretty big, uh, it's a pretty big, uh, issue that we have in our world today is really about loving and trusting ourselves because i I, you know what it was pretty 
pretty judgmental world. You know, people can get to you anywhere because of the internet and stuff like that. And having that confidence to, to be you, you know, and I destroy, like those kids forever are going to remember we were supposed to blow under paper to make it go up. And we ended up crying because Mr. Polson was a psychopath. <laughs> you, know? you know, so be you, man. Be you. The Bernoulli's principle. You wanted it to be uplifting, but it was nothing but a drag. <laughs> I know someone we're never having back on the show. <laughs> Listen, that is the reason why my grade six students a few years ago instituted No Pun Friday. <laughs> no Pun Friday. Love it. Love it. So that was pitiful. But yeah, so um, that that's kind of my th- my thought process on that. Just it's got to be you and, and let it go, and you know that it's working. And the, here's how you know it's working: when somebody else says, "Hey, I want to try that," and another person goes, "No, that's only going to work for Mister Pulse. That only works for Chris. there you go. Yeah, like, it only works for Josh. Like you can't 100%. say that. Like that well, that and I, t- I tell the teachers that when they say, I want to see your classroom, I said, don't don't look at me as an example. Please don't, because I don't know why or how I get away with what I do, but I somehow do. Yeah, and I would I never recommend anyone imitate it. Um, no, I'm happy to share resources, absolutely, but don't imitate. I don't, like Some of the things I've said to students over the years, I'm like, how am I not fired yet? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, be, like... Yeah, that's that's huge, Vito. Sure, I think comes down to you know the old adage, "You be you." Yeah, mm. yeah, and and you be you with this bag of tools that we talked about today, yep. because you know you're not just going to show up and be like, "Hi, everyone, I'm me. Let's learn." Be planned. Know your okay. stuff. Think of your think of teaching as a vocation. M- try your best to make the connections, and then like when you have that, then when you're being you, they're not meeting someone who doesn't exist yep yes there it is and you know what um i i want to just my last point here and this is back to our mentor father ron wayne young there this first first day of class in his lecture and his many homilies that he called a class and university first thing he said is you need to know that i am a catholic priest i am teaching from this perspective and that is a hundred percent who i am and you have to know 100% who I am so you know who you're dealing with. Yeah. And if I know 100% who I'm dealing with, then we can have that conversation. We might disagree. We might not see eye to eye. But at least we know who we're dealing with. I love it. So before we say goodbye to Josh, Vito, I'll give you my pulse and point takeaways from tonight. Hey, it's a vocation, not a job. And I think Josh said it really nicely. Find the Zen zone. Know your stuff. Plan. Stick to it. Let them in. Pull from the best of you when you're being you. And then maybe, just maybe, we'll take Vito's advice and we'll get booked again. Yes. Oh, somebody's beautiful. Love it. And what Josh, what's the what's the saying again that we gotta we gotta memorize from now? Oh, tastes say? like a boiled boot? Tastes like tastes boiled boot. Like a boiled boot. <laughs> thank you very much josh for joining us like really it was it was awesome to have you and we're gonna we're gonna have you on again to get pull on your actual expertise and let you go in your direction not have us interrupt you so thank you very much for being here with us thanks guys and thank you for joining us this week on the unapologist podcast join us next week when we'll talk with great people learn new ideas and tell the story of teaching 
as it happens. This is Vito and Chris signing off. Podcast.